questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight, we journey into the extraordinary as we delve deep into classified military operations, clandestine space missions, and unprecedented encounters with enigmatic beings from the distant cosmos. Our compass for this expedition is a man named JP, an ordinary individual who lived an extraordinary life. His story begins with a startling encounter with a group of human-like extraterrestrials known to many of us as Nordics. Yet, this is just the start. JP's world takes a fascinating twist as he's drawn into a classified branch of the U.S. military. This grants him unparalleled access to a world that seems to defy our concept of reality. His experiences far beyond what we consider worldly involve covert missions to underground cities and cosmic arcs, all the while maintaining contact with the Nordic extraterrestrials. His personal narratives, teeming with advanced technology, anti-gravity spacecraft, and glimpses of exotic, undisclosed locations, reflect an incredible journey that invites us to expand our understanding of our world, and indeed, of the cosmos itself. The man bringing JP's extraordinary journey to light is none other than Dr. Michael Sala, a recognized scholar in international politics, conflict resolution, and a pioneer in exopolitics, the study of political processes associated with extraterrestrial life. Dr. Sala bridges the gap between humanity and the cosmos, standing at the frontier of a new era of understanding. Are you intrigued? Then brace yourself as we dive into a world where the lines between reality and fiction blur, where the secrets of the universe unfold, and where our understanding of knowledge is put to the test. The universe is about to get a whole lot more interesting. Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including focused life force energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. We're excited to announce the launch of our brand new Veritas Plus Insider, your source for exclusive news and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. The title of his new book is U.S. Army Insider Missions, Space Arcs, Underground Cities, and E.T. Contact, marking the eighth thrilling installment of the Secret Space Program series. You can learn more about Dr. Michael Salas' work at exopolitics.org. And now, broadcasting directly from Nashville, Tennessee, it's my privilege to welcome Dr. Michael Sala. Hello, Michael, and welcome back to Veritas. Thank you, Mel. Great to be back. It's my pleasure. And Michael, I just told you offline, I just finished the book. I could not put it down. This is an incredible story. So I want everybody to remain open-minded because what you are about to share today can really shatter our paradigm. So I want to, as you know, I like to go in chronological order. 
Let's try the very beginning. In 2008, you received a phone call from a young man you've called JP. Can you share what that initial conversation was like? Sure. Well, he contacted me. He had just returned from Brazil, and he spoke about a contact experience he had with some human-looking extraterrestrials uh, he called Nordics. And he just didn't give me a lot of details, a lot of particulars. He just described it as a kind of otherworldly experience. He he had a very hazy recollection, but he remembered seeing these uh, three human-looking extraterrestrials in front of a spacecraft, and that um, that started a process where he then began to have dreams and visions of these extraterrestrials showing him technologies, advanced technologies. And so, you know, over the subsequent years, he began to tell me about the different technologies that he had uh, developed with the help of these extraterrestrials through these visions and through uh, these dreams that he was having. And he said that uh, these technologies he was uh, building were of interest to some shadowy covert groups that began uh, developing an interest in him after he contacted some mainstream scientists. He said he he began by approaching a neuroscientist at one of the universities in in Florida, uh, near near Tampa. And uh, he said that uh, this was a a well-known neuroscientist. And he said some things about uh, how this technology uh, that JP thought that the technology he was developing would be something that would enhance psychic abilities. And so, you know, this scientist, this neuroscientist, had an interest in what JP was doing, and eventually some covert operatives began to monitor JP and began to encourage him to work with them. And so over the next few years, there was this kind of process where JP kept an ordinary job as as a kind of landscaper and and a musician. He's a musician by uh, vocation, but like a lot of musicians, uh, (laughs) they struggle. So he supplemented his income uh, with a uh, job as a landscaper. And he would come up with these inventions and he would share them with these covert operatives. And when he did that, they would mysteriously disappear. And I was telling him, look, if you start working with these uh, organizations, military, corporate groups, I mean, they're going to steal the technology. They're never going to let you know, uh, they're never going to let you put it out into the public arena. Uh, but you know, and he worked with them. He continued to try to uh, build these things with the help of some insiders and. So it went on like that for a few years. And and over the time, over the years, uh, he he began to talk more and more about being followed, about the visions, about the dreams, about these kind of like interactions he was having with the Nordics. And so I kind of was, I was open-minded, but I never went public. And the reason I didn't go public was that he didn't give me the details I kind of look for in terms of going public on a witness, you know, you you need specific details that you can verify, that you can check. And he never gave me that uh, in the first, really the first nine years. 
of our communications. Uh, it was always he'd tell me what was happening and being followed and inventing things and covert operatives wanting him to work with them. They wanted him to join the military. So, you know, he was being asked to join the military. And and I understand as a contactee uh, why the military would be interested in you. Uh, then um, around 2015, uh, things began to take a more kind of specific focus where he was uh, being taken to these various locations. Some of them were off planets. Some of them could have been in underground civilizations where he was being exposed to different technologies, different artifacts, meeting different beings, meeting with the Nordics, meeting with um, covert operatives from the military. So, you know, he's telling me this. Um, yeah, that these experiences began in two, 2015. So I just I just kept the record. I you know, taped him sometimes. Other times I just took notes of what he said he experienced. And I thought, well, this is all interesting. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll go public. I don't feel confident going public on your story yet. So I just kept the record of it. And and what, what tipped the scales, uh, uh, Mel, was in 2017, he shared some photos. He began sharing photos with me, and that's when that's when I went public. But it not, not only was it the photos, and I'll continue in chronological order, but he was a civilian. How old was he in 2007 when you first started interacting with him? Uh, in 2008, uh, he was in his early 20s. 2008, that's right, early 20s. So by now, if anybody wants to go to the military, they probably, probably would have gone since the age of 18. But he joined at the military after all these events started happening, correct? That's right. Yeah, he, he joined kind of like uh, well into his 30s. And, uh, you know, that in itself was very unusual. He, right. he was saying people were asking him, what agency do you work for? Because, you know, the, the military, uh, the people there, you know, when they look at someone joining the military in their 30s, yeah, they, they always suspect, oh, this is a cover, that this is some kind of sheep-dipping operation where this person is working for you know, an, another organisation. And so, you know, he was asked by his uh, um, NCOs, you know, who, who, you, who you're working with, what agency you're with. So, so, you know, they were suspicious of him. And, and the irony is that, uh, you know, they were correct, but not in the way they think. Why the Army and not, say, the Air Force or the Navy? As you know, the Navy for the longest time was the one in charge of all of this. Well, that's the interesting thing. Uh, he began sharing with me these uh, you know, experiences that he had with our Air Force operatives. So it was always Air Force. It was, it was never Navy. It was always Air Force with JP. Um, and, you know, probably, I don't know, I guess because it was uh, he was living near MacDill Air Force Base, uh, which is a huge base, home of uh, Special Operations Command. So it's a it's it's an Air Force uh, facility, and so he was living right next to it. And so the operatives uh, from that base were the ones that, you know, were visiting him, monitoring him, checking out what he was experiencing. You know, because clearly, I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, from the perspective of the military, if you have a civilian having contact with uh, human-looking extraterrestrials, well, you're going to monitor that person and and you're going to try to get that person to, if, if you 
conclude that they're being genuine and that they have experiences with advanced technologies. I mean, in the book, um, in the, in that early period, 2015, 2016, uh, JP is, is, is saying that he's been taken to these facilities where he's testing extraterrestrial weapons. So, you know, you can imagine uh, from the perspective of the Air Force monitoring all of this, um, you know, JP's telling me, and, and I knew, uh, we both knew as he was telling me over the phone that uh, the phone was being tapped, everything was being recorded. And he's telling me about uh, how these uh, extraterrestrials were taking him on these missions and giving him these technologies. He, he described one incident involving this uh, a feline-looking extraterrestrial, a very ancient-looking feline, uh, like a cat person, if you like. And, and this person was like a weapons instructor. And it took him and several others, uh, at least one other, uh, to this site where they were testing weapons, uh, a, a kind of handheld weapon uh, that would just be triggered by uh, s- squeezing the hand. It was like a, uh, a, it was a ring. He described it as a ring. So all you would do is like squeeze your hand and it would shoot a pulse of energy, very powerful pulse of energy. So he was being trained in this. Well, you know, you can imagine from the perspective of the Air Force why they would want someone like that to join the Air Force. And so they would asking him, you know, you should join, you should join. And, and JP was telling me, well, well he, you know, they want me to join. What do you think I should do? I said, look, don't do not do it. If you do it, I mean, uh, they'll control you. I mean, you won't be able to tell me what's going on anymore because uh, they'll just, they can just shut you up very easily. So he didn't, he didn't join. He, he followed my advice. He didn't join. And, um, and so that, you know, that's the way it went uh, for a few more years. And it was only in 2019 so four years later, uh, after these kinds of incidents, that's when he joined. And, you know, there were a few things that uh, really convinced him to join. One was the creation of Space Force and Space Command. Uh, they, they, were, they were created in uh, September 2019 for Space Command, and uh, Space Force was created in December of 2019. So JP was told by his uh, Air Force contacts, they said, look, Space Force has just been created. They're still setting up. Why don't you join the military? And in and in some time, sometime in the future, you will be, you, you'll go into Space Force because you, you have all the skills, you have the experience, and you'll join Space Force or Space Command, right? So that was what he was told. And he was told, uh, just join. It doesn't matter what branch of the military. So, so, JP joined the military in 2019, thinking that that would be his point of entry into Space Force, and and he was told um, to to join the army. Now, why the army? Why not the Air Force? That was uh, that was that was the, the question I had, and and the way it was described was that. Um, to me, was that it, it didn't matter what service uh, that, in fact, uh, because the Air Force personnel were being recruited into Space Force, uh, that it wouldn't matter that, that he was in the Army because they would be recruiting people from all the branches, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, into the Space Force once it was set up. So that's what he was told. So, you know, they steered him in and, you know, I don't know if they tricked him. I don't know if he was misled. 
but he, I think he joined expecting he would end up in the Air Force, but he ended up in the Army. And, you know, I must say, um, in the years since, he's he's very happy with the Army. I mean, he, he loves being part of the Army. He loves the culture. So, but it, it's turned out uh, that it it's turned out that he does indeed work for Space Command. Uh, when he's taken on these missions, he uh, is taken um, on TDY, which is temporary duty, out of his normal military assignment. So his normal uh, military occupation specialty is as uh, um, ordnance and a chemical equipment repairer. So kind of pretty mundane job assignment that's that's what he's trained in but he was also trained in special forces and and you, you, that's not usual huh. he was trained in special forces um and uh he and that was because to be part of these space command missions he needed to be skilled enough to be able to handle the kind of circumstances and conditions that are involved with off world or missions into the inner earth and so forth I just wonder what's going to appear on his DD-214 when he is honorably discharged in the future, what the real caption will show up on that little card. But let me go back again to when he went to Brazil. He got married to his Brazilian wife, and then he went to meet her uh, her parents in, in Brazil to Goianias. By the way, I have friends in Goianias, and uh, they tell me of all sorts of strange things that they see all the time in that part of Brazil. So what exactly happened uh, in Brazil? Uh, well, he uh, went and spent uh, uh, time to to meet with the family of his wife, and uh, they went to a hotel uh, nearby uh, for this. Sorry, they went to a farm that was nearby. So they, they went to a farm, and for JP, this was the first time uh, that he had been to a Brazilian farm. And so he was very excited by that. He talked about eating a lot of food and they just had a really kind of a festive day. And so at night, he got, uh, he woke up at night. He wasn't able to sleep. Uh, I'm not sure what time it was, kind of like 1 a.m. or something like that. And he says he, he felt this compulsion to go outside. So he went outside and he saw this light. And so he went towards this light uh, there. In, in this farm in that uh, province of Goianas in Brazil. And, and that's when he saw a craft. And uh, he then uh, you know, had that experience. And he was, as I said, he was kind of pretty vague about the, about the details. He didn't remember anything about the names, about where they're from, any, any of the specifics. He just said that, you know, there were these three human-looking Nordics that were there in front of the craft, and uh, and he remembers seeing them. He remembers the lights, and then the next thing he remembers is like being inside and being dirty. and 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 he said that he didn't tell anyone because he felt scared that they would think that he was crazy. Because I, I guess he wanted to make a good impression, and so he just he didn't tell anyone. Um, and and when he went back to the US, back to um, his home in uh, Florida. I actually, at, at the time, I'm not quite sure if it was, uh, yeah, it could have been, uh, he was probably living in, in Tampa, Florida. When he went back to Florida, uh, that's when he contacted me and 
and told me about that incident in uh, Goianas, Brazil. So let's fast forward. Then he comes back to Tampa and time progresses. He contacts you with these stories. Obviously, you didn't believe him and I don't blame you because their extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence and you didn't receive that until over a decade later, right? Uh, yeah, basically, it was only in 2017 when he, he started sending me photographs, really good, clear photographs of uh, flying triangle-shaped craft and flying rectangle-shaped craft and even flying saucer-shaped craft um, in that vicinity of uh, MacDill Air Force Base. And that uh, and and what you know that was very compelling because now it was it wasn't just a matter of oh yeah uh, I I I saw this craft or I was taken on this craft it was like here I have photos and and what was really amazing uh, in in September of 2017 when he was sending me all these uh, photos was that he was being approached by covert operatives from McDill. And 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 that they prompted him, prompted him, look up, look over there, look up, and or he would get a phone call, look up at a certain so, time. Yeah, at, at the exact time when a craft was flying up there, so he would look up and there's a craft, and so he'd take photographs or video, uh, and 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 that's when he began sending them to me. So not, so not only was he taking photographs of these flying triangle and flying rectangles that uh, he believed were part of this kind of covert operation out of MacDill. Uh, he said that these were also craft that he, some of them he had been taken on and and some that he had seen back in 2015, 16 and so forth when he was uh, having these other experiences. So he had a photographic evidence supporting his claims so so that to me was when i decided okay this this is yeah he's got amazing stories to share um i certainly would love to have more details but the stories are, are intriguing but now with these photos now i have some solid evidence that this is this he's the real deal and that these things are really happening to him and it seems that this is the part that's really hard to understand because what we are about to hear, folks, it seems so outlandish to some people. And if this is truly happening and our military, not only the United States, but Russia, China, and perhaps other countries are involved, this is something that you would think has the highest classification possible. But there's some people within the government that want him to disclose or to share this information with you and therefore the public. That's right. And and the interesting thing, Mel, is that, you know, there's that group. And I think the way JP described the events and the people and the interactions, I mean, the group was clearly part of this covert um, Air Force unit. And, and we eventually identified it uh, because he was taken on one of the craft. Uh, this was a rectangle-shaped craft. He was taken on there. And a, a soldier approached him, and the soldier wore a patch, and the patch was of Air Force Special Operations. And that's very significant because, uh, you know, when he told me about it, he just described the patch, he, he did a drawing, and we didn't know who, who, who's, who does this patch belong to? And so we looked online and we checked around, and then we eventually found out that that was the patch of Air Force Special Operations. 
and Air Force Spe- Special Operations. I mean, they call themselves Air Commando. So it's kind of like the like the Delta Force of the uh, of the Air Force, or, or like the SEALs of the Air Force, uh, Air Force Special Operations. And and that, that these guys were on this rectangles uh, craft that JP had been taken on. And and what's really interesting is that because they were wearing a patch. That what that tells us is that that craft was not a, an experimental craft. If it was an experimental craft, you wouldn't have had any patches. You would have just had people wearing uh, kind of like black uniforms or scientific overalls or something. Because you know, if you're testing a craft, it's 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 under kind of this testing uh, mode, and they're just wanting to check out if everything works okay. So you have scientists, or you you have people there that are just checking everything out but but when when these craft are operational that that they're being used for covert missions all over the planet or off planet that's when you can have actual units assigned to these craft so you know that seeing that patch was very significant because it showed that this was and this was an operation that rectangle was part of an operational unit out of special operations command at at McDill which is the the core the central hub for special operations of the U.S. military all over the world. So, and JP was uh, was seeing that craft. He had been on that craft, and he was being encouraged by operatives within the Air Force to take photographs of that craft and to share it with me and for me to put it out, which is what I did back in 2017. Is it safe to say that if somebody is telling him when to look up and photograph? that they must have control over those craft. And if that's the case, for example, the TR-3B, the triangular craft that many people have seen, and and some other craft that could be considered extraterrestrial when in fact they could be exotic technology that we've had for quite, quite some time. Do you think that what he photographed was ours, at least most of the photographs that you received? Totally, yeah. Uh, I mean, he had... A number of experiences before 2017, when he was taken on flying triangles, and he said he described the people, the pilot, uh, typically as an Air Force pilot, and uh, and, and that was up until 2017. His experiences were primarily with either flying triangles or TR-3B type craft that were being operated by the Air Force or these flying saucer-shaped craft uh, that were extraterrestrial uh, in, in origin, and, and they, they belonged to the Nordics. So those were the two types of craft up until September 2017 that he had described. Um, but then in 2017, something really dramatic happened. So in early uh, September 2017, he's he's giving me these photos. Covert operatives are encouraging him to take the photos. I'm 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 putting that information out into the public arena. So for the first time, the public's learning about JP and uh what he's seeing up there. And you can't deny the photos because I mean he would give me six or nine photos of the of these flying triangles flying over successive days near McDill Air Force Base. So uh, you know, there you have evidence that can be easily confirmed. Burn if you start interviewing uh, witnesses. I mean, there must have been others, and and JP was saying, yeah, other people saw it. Um, so it wouldn't have been a hard thing to confirm if any kind of newspaper explored it. But unfortunately, no newspaper, no major 
uh, organization explored his claims. I mean, at the time, I was living in Hawaii, so I was a long way away. He's telling me all this, and, and no one's investigating it. And I think MUFON did investigate one flying triangle sighting um, in the area, but that, but that was it. Uh, but nevertheless, I think what happened was that while there was the uh, Air Force uh, covert operatives that were wanting this information to get out, there was another faction that didn't want this information to get out. And, and JP learned uh, through various warnings and threats, intimidation, harassment, that this faction was associated with uh, the Men in Black and the CIA, that th there was this kind of Men in Black CIA faction that would harass him, that would say, don't take video, that that it was okay for him to take photos but no video, and, and he would get phone calls. and it, Like he'd take some video and he'd get a phone call saying, delete the video. I mean, he's taking a video of a flying triangle uh, in the area and he gets a and he gets a phone call saying delete the video uh, or or else and so that was what was going on and uh yeah and on his job he uh he uh was was threatened he, on one one of his uh, his regular job as a uh, as a uh landscaper he went to one house i describe it in the book one incident where he goes to do a landscaping job at a house and he's met by the uh owner or renter and uh and so they start talking and and this a person uh at that house uh, let's assume he was renting it he says you see that house over there that belongs to the uh the chief cia operative for MacDill Air Force Base. And, and JP said, oh, okay. And the guy then turned to him and looked at him straight in the eyes and said, we're watching everything you do. Wow. And that was it, end of conversation. Then he walked away. So, so what JP was caught in the middle of was this tug of war, which continues to this very day, between one faction in the uh, military intelligence community uh, that wants disclosure that really badly wants disclosure, you know, because the Air Force has, and the Navy, they have so much to gain by disclosure. But you have another faction uh, involving the CIA that has everything to lose by disclosure. So you can see why the CIA is working with these nebulous men in black to kind of like stifle disclosure because they have everything to lose. Um, but the Air Force, the Navy, the, and Space Force today have everything to gain through disclosure because you know what 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 it means is that once you have disclosure, then funding for these off-world vehicles uh, moves from this kind of shadowy intelligence world where the CIA dominates into this kind of open-source military world where the Pentagon dominates, and that's that's what. And that's the fight. That's the battle over the disclosure. That's so interesting what you're saying, because I'm thinking of 1963. I think that that was the moment, the coup d'etat that happened after Kennedy was killed and the Warren Commission basically taking over the investigation. I think the CIA took over this nation. And thankfully, we still have some good people within it. And it's fragmented and hopefully we'll win. But they're trying their best to keep this information quiet 
keep it from Congress. And we'll, at the end of the show, I want to discuss the latest news of, of this military individual, as you know, who's a, a whistleblower now, and the law is with him because of the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, the recent one that allows that, but we'll discuss that later. But what I'm thinking, if if JP was a civilian, if I were a civilian and all of these things are happening to me and I want to share it with the world, I would think, what would be the best way to do this? People are not going to believe me if I'm simply a civilian, but perhaps they might if I become part of the military. Was that the motivation for him to join the military? Uh, that was definitely one of the the factors that that drove him to join the military. Yeah, that he felt that he would be more effective. And, and there was an actual incident, like in 2016, I, I describe in the book, where he was taken by um, these Air Force operatives. He and another person were taken to this floating donut-shaped ship somewhere in the Bermuda Triangle. And he was taken there, and there were a whole bunch of extraterrestrials arriving on this Navy facility. And um, an army general came out of this facility and you know, welcomed the extraterrestrials, looked at JP and his companion and said, and then yelled at them and said, what are you doing here? And 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 he and he, and he kind of swore at him and told him to, to to basically get lost. And so what that signified was that even though you had people within the air force that wanted to expose JP to these different technologies, uh, the way the compartmental compartmentalized world of covert operations concerning extraterrestrial life is concerned is that, you know, when you come across the security or the program managers of a particular pro uh, program, it doesn't matter who recommends you. Uh, what, what really matters is what that person on the ground says. And, and when that when that person looked at JP and said he recognized he was a civilian, he's, he told him to, you know, to get lost. Uh, you know, you know, we're not going to let you onto this. Facility. But he was not a civilian at the time, was he? Uh, this was in 2016. So at that time, in 2016, JP was a civilian. Oh, he he had not joined the military yet. Correct. Yet he was there. How was he able to get there? Uh, by one of these uh, flying triangles, by one of the uh, by some variation of a TR3 craft. So so it was a, a, a covert air force operatives took him to this facility because they wanted him to check out. Extra, well, some uh, an ancient technology below this um, floating platform at the bottom of the uh, Bermuda Triangle. They the wanted him to check it out. The Ark, exactly. And so that was what the Air Force operatives wanted to happen. Uh, but the Army officer in charge said no. But but why uh, were they trying to convince him to join the military by by showing him that? I'm I'm not sure what their motivation was. I, I think they they you know what was clear was that they were taking JP to many different strange environments. It wasn't as though they said, "Oh, you know, this is a guy who is skilled or knowledgeable about extraterrestrial technologies, and you know, we want to get him to help us understand and develop you know some specific types of extraterrestrial technologies, whether it's propulsion, free energy, or weapons." It was like they were exposing him to a wide variety of experiences. I think they were testing, evaluating him to find out what he could access and what he couldn't access. Because, you know, that that's the big secret, you know, because 
I mean, obviously, people are, are always caught up in, well, where's the evidence? Where's the truth? You know, the, the people that are running these programs, I mean, they're dealing with ancient technologies that go back thousands, tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years even, belonging to civilizations that have that we don't even have a memory of. Uh, we have inner earth civilizations. We we have uh, we have extraterrestrials visiting us. We have these ancient space arcs all over the planet and um, on other moons. So the people running these covert operations they wanted to expose JP to a wide variety of these different technologies to kind of find out you know what he's knowledgeable knowledgeable about or where he could help them so i think that was the reason they took him in 2016 to this uh floating platform out there in the bermuda triangle thinking that uh, he could go down into this space arc that had just been discovered and but uh because jp was a civilian at the time that was a problem and he was refused entry and 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 so you know, I think that must have been in the back of his mind that he he was told that look, if you join the military, it'll be so much easier for you to have access to these things. But if you don't join, it's kind of like uh, helter skelter. You don't you know yeah. you don't know. I mean, they can take him to a different place, and and it did. It happened a second time as well, and I describe it in the book where he was taken to another facility. Um, this one we think was off planet somewhere else, and again the same thing. He's he's in there. He's having these experiences. Um, is it being exposed to something? Then a uh, a senior, a more senior person comes in and says, "What are you doing here? You're, you're not military. Get out." And and so even though you might have some people within the covert world sympathetic and wanting to expose JP to things, there were other groups saying. Um, no, he's not military, so we're not going to let him have a look at this. We're not going to read him in, and that and that's so it happened a second time, and so I think that when you combine it with the fact that uh, uh, Donald Trump announced and Congress approved uh, the uh, creation of Space Force and Space Command was set up in September of 2019, uh, that's what led to JP deciding that it would be better, that he would be more effective if he was actually part of the military. So that's, um, and it wasn't long after uh, the creation of Space Command that JP enlisted. And the interesting part, I'm just thinking of Jackie Gleason. I'm sure you know the story, the alleged story that President Nixon drove the car outside of the 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 uh, base, I believe it was the Air Force Base in Homestead, Florida, uh, without any security detail and went to pick him up and brought him and showed him some EBEs there. But again, Jackie Gleason was a famous person, knew the president. In this case, JP was a civilian, an average person. And the question is, you know, why him? Could it be because he carried something in his, in his DNA that could be used to further the technological exploration in these places? Yes, that's exactly the reason. Uh, the, the, I think at some point... Uh, the, the covert military people recognized that uh, JP had a certain set of genes or a, a type of consciousness, a, a combination of the two, that gave him access uh, to these 
kinds of technologies that uh, were off-world or ancient, that these technologies often had some kind of protective mechanism. And if you didn't have the right DNA and and consciousness, uh, you could be hurt very badly. And and there was a story by uh, Tucker Carlson covered a story. Well, actually talked about an incident that happened. He said, uh, and this only happened about uh, two months ago. And Tucker Carlson said that about 11 years ago, he was approached by a highly credentialed uh, a medical doctor. I think he said Stanford, Stanford uh, Medical uh, Facility there in California, and he said that this doctor had had told um, had told Tucker that there had been over one hundred military personnel who had been severely injured, suffered brain damage, or killed outright when they interacted with these um, extraterrestrial technologies. So so Tucker said this uh, So a couple of months ago, and he said that was 11 years ago. So that was 2000. So in 2012, uh, this Stanford uh, brain specialist is, is trying to treat uh, Air Force pilots who or personnel who have gotten too close to the UFOs and have suffered traumatic brain injury, over 100 of them. So that's a lot of personnel. So you can imagine if you're losing that many people, and and the same thing happened with Bob Lazar. I mean, if you you remember Bob Lazar, that was the same thing. I mean, the the uh, the, the laboratory scientists studying the propulsion system of the of the of that craft that uh, he was working on, they they were killed. So so it was known that when you are interacting with these kinds of advanced technologies. Uh, there's a very high risk of injury, serious injury. And so at some point, someone within the Air Force uh, realized that, well, why don't we get contactees to interact with these things for us? You know, because they already have experiences interacting with the extraterrestrial craft. And because they're connected with extraterrestrials, maybe they have the right DNA and the right consciousness to be able to safely interact with these uh, advanced technologies that our people are being severely injured when they get too close to. So um, I, I, I don't think it, it's an accident that JP was encouraged to join the military um, soon after he began having his experiences in 2008. Obviously, he was uh, abducted a few times. It's, it's safe to say, Michael... That he was my labbed also. Oh yeah, definitely. Many times, uh, many of his of his experiences, uh, he described in in a very trying to recollect exactly what happened, but he remembered some details, uh, and he, re- he remembered often that it would be a a kind of a triangle shaped craft, and he would remember a pilot. Typically, an Air Force pilot, and they were they were typically silent. They wouldn't share much information. They were just taking to different places. Uh, but yeah, he was he was taken involuntarily. Uh, I won't say he resisted. He seemed to be compliant. I think he just accepted that you know these are strange things that happened to him. So he never told me you know anything like like when. So, when some people get abducted, you know, they resist and fight and yell and scream and all of that stuff. He he never said that that happened to him. He said he'd, he'd be taken on these craft and he he said he would he felt that his job was to just learn and observe. 
And that's what he did. He just kind of would learn and observe and try and remember as much as he could when he would talk to me. And, you know, I'd just take notes and sometimes uh, tape him. And that's and that's how I was able to eventually, uh, you know, put all that together to come up with a, a very coherent narrative about his background and what exactly happened to him. And, and, and one of the things that became clear in writing the book was that uh, there were agreements reached between the this Nordic group of extraterrestrials and the Air Force. That, and and he also described an incident where some Navy personnel were involved. But it, but I remember him telling me, and it's in the book. He describes how he was at a at a facility at a place, and uh, he, had, he had been taken there by the Nord, by the Nordics, and he was watching how Air Force and Navy personnel were being trained by Nordics to use the extraterrestrial technologies. And JP describes being on a platform with, a, I think it was a Navy officer, just observing it all. So JP was put there by the Nordic and to watch this. And then uh, JP was told by the Nordic that they reached agreement with the Air Force that they would protect him. Like a protected asset, so, you mean? That they would protect JP. So he was a protected asset of the Nordics. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that, that was very clear early on uh, from one of those early experiences I describe in the book. Uh, I think it was around 2016. He was taken to a facility and uh, by the Nordics to watch Air Force and Navy personnel being trained in uh, Nordic extraterrestrial technologies. And he was told by the Nordics, you know, uh, we have reached agreements with the Air Force that they will protect you and uh, you are allowed to observe what is happening. So so that was also a, a pretty big factor in, in what happened. And, uh, you know, maybe that's, that's why the Air Force people first took him to that uh, arc facility or that the platform floating over the arc facility in the Bermuda Triangle because the, because the Air Force and the Nordics had reached an agreement that uh, the Air Force knew that JP was working with the Nordics, that he's one of them. Let's, let's just say that he's one of them or tied in with them and that they would protect him and that that was a condition of the uh, kind of agreement and the cooperation that the Nordics and the Air Force had. And I'm sorry, sorry, finish what you're saying. So yeah, so I was I was just gonna say that that was that was one of the experiences and 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 one one of the things that uh you know kind of like substantiates this was that in 2018, again, this is before JP joined the army. In 2018, he had moved to Orlando and he had an experience with one of these Nordics that landed near him. Uh, near his home in a in a kind of more rural area of Orlando, the the Nordic landed in the spacecraft and you know talked to him and offered him a ride and and that and JP declined. He he wasn't sure about the wisdom of doing that. Later on, he said that he he didn't get on that Nordic spacecraft because he felt he was being watched and that if he got on, he would get into a lot of trouble. That's that's what he told me. Uh, but the interesting thing was there's two really interesting things about that particular incident in 2018. That's that's in the book. It's a chapter in the book. Is that in that incident he he described uh, the Nordic as wearing an Air Force unit. Oh, sorry, an Air Force uniform. So the Nordic uh, 
was wearing an Air Force uniform, uh, yeah, blonde, blue eyes, but uh, but uh, kind of like a, a Air Force regulation haircut. So he didn't have the long flowing hair. It had been cut to kind of like that regulation Air Force crew cut style. And JP uh, took a photograph of the flying saucer as the Nordic left, that his camera didn't work when the Nordic was there, when he was near the craft. But as soon as the Nordic left and the craft started to rise up, his camera started working and he took photos. And and so that sequence of photos was something I, I published and it's in the book as well. So, uh, so, you know, there you have actually photographic evidence supporting JP's claim that the Nordics are working with the Air Force, that, that there's a unit of Nordics stationed with the Air Force helping them, and that uh, JP uh, is um, tied in with that group of Nordics and the Air Force are, are protecting JP. Let's unpack this for a moment because when I'm thinking of the alliances, Apparently, there's, there seems to be two groups. The Greys, the Deep State, the CIA are competing, and they're the ones trying to get rid of the Nordics. Are the Nordics the ones that feel now that they're persecuted and they need help, and they, they want to help us providing technology, healing, uh, free energy, and all those things? And that's why they want people like JP, like you, to release this information because this protects them? Protects them? Uh, yeah, well, the Air Force, uh, you know, one of my books, uh, the Air, U.S. Air Force Secret Space Program, uh, talked about a, a transition, that there had been a transition, a, a pretty important shift in the official Air Force policy towards the different extraterrestrial groups. I mean, from the early 1950s or late 1940s, uh, the Air Force began working with the, the Germans out of Antarctica and uh, with the Greys and with the reptilians, and they began to uh, develop spacecraft uh, with the cooperation of that group. Um, and, and on the other hand, the Navy was working with the Nordics. That was the way it unfolded. And, you know, when you look at it from a, from, you know, from the perspective, from a bigger picture perspective, well, it makes perfect sense. If you have different branches of the military, which are completely compartmentalized and separate, well, and there are different factions of extraterrestrials that are competing with different technologies um, and they're, and they're trying to get influence over the, over the planet. Well, then, you know, why would you just work with one faction? You, you would want to work with both factions. And because the U S um, is kind of unique, Uh, amongst uh, all countries because it does have distinct separate military factions. So the Air Force worked with the Greys, with the reptilians, with the Nazis out of Antarctica, and the Nordics worked primarily with the Navy. And, and by the... And by uh, sometime in that period, around 2017, in the around that period... The Air Force realized that the technology that they had been given by the Greys and by the reptilians was vastly inferior to the technology that had been given to the Navy, that the Navy had space carrier groups, that they had the, these very long kilometer-sized aircraft, spacecraft carriers with uh, space fighters and so forth that could deploy into deep space or even interstellar space, uh, that the Nordics were helping the Navy develop really, you know, top of the top of the line 
uh, technologies, whereas the greys and the reptilians were always giving the Air Force this kind of second-rate technologies. So, so by the some point at some point, 2017. I mean, that's what I identify in that book, the Air Force Secret Space Program book. Uh, the Air Force senior leadership had a, a, a kind of um, an epiphany that okay, well, you know, we we got to start working with these Nordics, and so that's around the same time that uh, the Nordics uh, that JP was associated with began working with the Air Force, and and that relationship deepened, and uh, the Air Force, and I think uh, you know, looking at it now. Uh, Mel, from this position, I would say that you know that was probably the reason why uh, JP was allowed to take those photos in 2017 of all these flying triangles uh, near a MacDill Air Force base was because of these agreements between the Nordics and the Air Force, and the Air Force wanted to show their goodwill to the Nordics by saying, "Hey, we're allowing one of your guys, one of your assets, JP, to take these photos of our hardware because." We want full disclosure. And so I think that was kind of like a feather in the cap of the Air Force, as far as the Nordics were concerned, that, okay, the Air Force are genuinely behind disclosure. They're helping our guy take photos and to release this to the public. And so I, I think that, that you know, that that makes much more sense now why JP is unique um, in, in that he's being helped in taking photos and releasing these photos. And even now, while being part of the Army, being able to, to share this information with me is because um, by by the Air Force and, and now today by the Army allowing him to share this information with me, um, they are showing their kind of good faith to these agreements that were reached uh, between uh, the Air Force and the uh, Nordics and you know, and and we need to include the army in that as well now. Why do you think that the Nordics don't respond if they have this technology so much more advanced than what we have? Why don't they respond and they feel persecuted and and they need help from us? Well, I I think that's a that's a really good question, Mel. I think it's probably because uh, the negative extraterrestrials. Uh, you know, they were working with, well, the, I guess the Babylonian money magic controllers. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, these beings or these controllers, these elite groups, I mean, they are not something new. They have been in control of the planet for thousands of years. And they the Anunnaki? That's right. They date themselves back to the Anunnaki. Uh, Marduk and Enlil, uh, those were the two two of the chief Anunnaki that kind of stayed behind and uh, created havoc on the on the earth. And I, I think that uh, as a result of the kind of like very long presence of these kind of Anunnaki uh, leaders, uh, Marduk was one. I think also the son of Enlil, uh, Ninurta, was another one. Uh, two very two very powerful Anunnaki that were like at the at the tip of the spear, or the tip of the uh, pyramid, if you like, and they were essentially like the Pindar of the planet. Now, I guess the Pindar is, is typically described as a human that uh, is the kind of like the top of the food chain when it comes to the occult hierarchy. So they would work with these um, Anunnaki like. 
uh, you know, to, or like Marduk. Uh, but then you have the greys, you have the Draco reptilians here. So, you know, they were the dominant elite for thousands of years. They've been the dominant elite. Now, things have been changing over the last, uh, I, I guess, century, if you like. The, the Nordics have been uh, intervening more uh, because the mass consciousness is rising. And I think the more the mass consciousness rises, I think the more influential the Nordics become. And conversely, uh, the less powerful uh, that kind of Babylonian money, uh, magic, and Draco, Orion Grey uh, complex becomes. And so I think that's why the White Hats are now in a much more powerful position uh, and are working with the Nordics and the, the positive extraterrestrial factions. Now, JP joins the military. Let's begin with some of the covert missions that he was involved in. Sure. Well, probably the one uh, that really stood out to begin with is where he was told by the um, by his um, Air Force operatives um, that there would be a incoming fleet of spacecraft very large spacecraft arriving in our solar system and that space command was in charge of a i guess a flotilla of ships from the earth that would meet and greet these incoming visitors and so he was part of that mission uh he uh re remembers going out there and he remembers what it was like being near uh, Jupiter and uh, the, the experiences that he had while he was part of that um, expedition out there to, to greet the visitors and the, the kind of interactions that, that happened with some of the visitors. So you know, that's a very significant because it uh, dovetails with the work of uh, others uh, saying that uh, there were fleets of extraterrestrial spacecraft coming in. Uh, I mean, you, you have uh, Oumuamua, of course, uh, that stood for Advanced Scoutcraft. I think that was, I uh, can't remember the exact year, whether it was 2017, 2019, something like that, that kind of preceded this in incoming fleet. And uh, what JP was told also dovetailed uh, what some other contactees like, like uh, Elena Danan. Um, and a few others were saying about incoming fleets. Uh, Alex Collier, another contactee, was saying they were getting similar information from their extraterrestrial contacts that a new, very new, powerful group of extraterrestrials that were actually uh, from another galaxy, that they were part of a kind of intergalactic alliance, were arriving in our solar system to kind of oversee the transition of our solar system from being a kind of uh, insular outpost controlled by these draconian Orion Grey groups that kept us suppressed into something that would uh, interact more and become part of the galactic community, that they had come to watch that. So so JP's mission kind of like corroborated that, that he, that was one of the things that, that he experienced directly. When it comes to these missions, he was taken at one point to I, I, and the thing is, when he gets into these craft, it doesn't take hours or days. Sometimes it takes minutes. He talks about this location where he saw different types of animals, flora, 
and fauna. Can you expound on that? Right. Well, he's been taken on, on many missions, uh, you know, both as a civilian and as a um, military serviceman, where he's gone into these uh, domes or space arcs where he's seen very strange fauna and animals. And, you know, these are clearly arcs. Uh, these are these are designed in a way to preserve certain genetic strains of animals or, or plant life. Uh, and, you know, J, the JP was told uh, that one day in the future uh, that uh, these arcs would be very important for reseeding humanity that or reseeding the planet, that it was important for that, for those uh, arcs to just get a, a very good sample of the different strains of animals or plants that they wanted to preserve for a future. So he has been on, on, on you know, many missions like that. While he was with the uh, military, when, after he joined the military in, in 2019, he's been on a number of, of missions to space arcs where he has seen uh, not so much animals, but he's seen very unusual uh, plants, uh, very unusual uh, fish life, and very kind of like, very unusual kind of like hieroglyphs, uh, ancient writings on walls of these uh, space arcs. I want to really discuss the space arcs because it seems to me that when we think of Noah's ark, we think of the wooden ark that Noah allegedly built to put all the animals and recreate life here on Earth after the the flood. I wonder, because there's so much technology that we see in the past. We're supposedly at the top of the food chain. You know, we're the most advanced we've ever been. But all you have to do is look at certain buildings around the world, look at the pyramids and megalithic structures. It makes you wonder if we had a civilization here before that had technology that we can even imagine today. And what if a cataclysm, or, or perhaps these draconians we refer to, created a reset. And these arcs that are placed around the world, in Central Asia, in Russia, in, in the Atlantic Ocean, and many other places, and even on the moon, that they have been used in the past. And perhaps they are re, restarting right now. I want to discuss this with you when we come back, because there's a possibility that this might be happening as we speak. How can people buy the new book and all your other books, Michael? Uh, people can just uh, visit my website, exopolitics.org, for the whole collection of books, webinars that I offer, articles, interviews, and so forth. And you can get this book at uh, Amazon.com. Just go and uh, U.S. Army Insider Missions. And when we come back, I want to discuss also, I think it was the last story you discussed when the Nordic came to Orlando, and after they left, if I remember correctly, he saw a wall in his house was wet. And that happens when a portal opens, almost as if somebody was watching him. But we'll discuss that when we come back. This is Mel Hoslerick. I'm here with my special guest, Dr. Michael Sala, in his new book, Incredible Story. Much more when we return. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, 
and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know.